0: Um, But I do believe that our, our liberations are tied together, are tethered to one another. And I think that that's a way to think about it, not only as a way of thinking about, well, will I fight for my sister or my sibling or my brethren, but, but what do I like, what do I have to fight for? What kind of liberation am I seeking? Um, And am I seeking the liberation of all? Yeah, right. And we know that Um, not to use like the language of colonization. We know that like liberation doesn't also come without sacrifice. So we know like (laughs) on my way to freedom, like I may be lost or someone I love may be lost um, as a part of that, like kind of liberatory strategy. Um, And we live with that. Like we're kind of existing and facing mortality at all times as we seek liberation out.
1: Golden. Hi, this is Kimberly and John. Hello, I'm Paul Chen. I'm Sarah Gustafson, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today I'm joined by Savannah Brown. Savannah can be found at Savannah. <laughs> that's her, uh, her Instagram handle, Savannah. I think that's great. Um, Savannah is a... Um, is a maternal justice advocate um, she's a birth doula she's a mother and she's the national director of restore forward which was formerly known as the black women's blueprint um, you can find restore forward at restore forward on instagram they got they lucked out they got exactly the names that they wanted restore forward's mission is to advance a pedagogy pedagogy of well-being and steward of well-being and steward the journeys where people can be seen held and heard by each other in the earth i think that is Kind of spot on there's obvious reasons why i would bring savannah onto my podcast right Um, i'm due to visit her up in michigan i gotta get to meet this incredible woman in person savannah and i um our conversation focuses on black maternal and neonatal morbidity and mortality but really a a more global um, sort of advocacy for the better treatment of especially women of color within a maternity care system that has demonstrated time and time again its willingness to um, corrupt a person's mental, emotional, or spiritual well-being um, all in the name of sort of taking care of their materialistic needs of blood loss and all that. But for women of color, you know, that may be extra relevant for, for white women, but for women of color they also have to worry about their physical well-being at the hands of healthcare professionals who have all taken an oath to, to do no harm. So the, for the healthcare professionals, this is not to say, hey, you're a bad guy. This is to say, we can do better. We must do better, because across the entire developed world, the United States has the worst maternal, um, specifically maternal statistics, um, and our neonatal statistics are not that much better. So fortunately in our country, you have a low absolute risk of dying in childbirth, but black women, it's been well documented now, have a roughly twice or three times as high risk of dying from childbirth, which, um, while the risk, absolute risk is still low, it's still way less than 1%, we've got to do better. So we get into systemic racism, we get into, um, racial inequality, we get into socioeconomic disparity. Savannah's going to be coming onto the Born Free course is uh, a part of one of our updates. She's going to do some additional lessons for us on, um, focused on black and uh, women of color, their their maternal and neonatal outcomes. So um, she's a doula. She's She does great work. You're going to love this conversation with Savannah, Savannah Brown. Like every episode, we do have a couple brands that I'm fully in alignment with who really, really matter in this world. I wouldn't even have sponsors if it didn't cost increasingly more money to produce my podcast. You'll ex- You can expect to see in the next coming weeks we're upgrading to StreamYard. I've got an, in a, like a live producer of the show now. Um, it's going to be much higher quality video. And our YouTube channel right now is defunct because of the James Thorpe episode. If you haven't heard that episode, please share it with far and wide. He gets into the nitty gritty. He's a prof- prolific researcher. He's an MFM. He's an OBGYN. He's been on the board of every major uh, organization out there related to maternity care in the United States. And he was ousted for simply asking questions, very, very important questions around what happened during the COVID moment. So check that episode out, but because it was on YouTube and it violated their community guidelines, they got it got taken down. I'm not allowed to post there anymore. So until that is lifted, I may have to start posting on Rumble or something. So stay tuned for that. But Savannah, you'll find her episode at YouTube as well. You can see her lovely backdrop. She is a joy, a joy to interview. But anyways, because of all those upgrades, I, um, uh really still love finding sponsors that are in alignment with my practice. And I don't think any company is more in alignment than BirthFit. Lindsay Cantu and her team at BirthFit have put together an incredible program. And what I'd like you to imagine is you know hey you've heard that exercise can help prevent every pregnancy complication under the sun including gestational diabetes hypertensive disorders prolonged labor prolonged pregnancy risk of c section risk of uh, mood and mood disorders or, or depression blues uh, in the postpartum period the the wide range of benefits are clearly illustrated in James Clapp's book Exercising Through Your Pregnancy but if you go to the gym and you want to hire a personal trainer they're not going to have any specific training well birthfit provides Coaching to coaches who want to work with pregnant and postpartum women, uh, really any phase of a woman's cycle or a woman's life. So, their um, pregnancy and postpartum specific lifestyle programs can be found at birthfit.com. They also have an incredible B community. Um, I have um, completed their coaching certification. I'm a birthfit leader now. It is so, so good. You are going to be in such good hands. Finding a BirthFit Professional near you. They have a directory on their website. Again, it's birthfit.com. And if you use code BELOVED, you can enroll in their postpartum basics program for 20% off, or you can get a month free, or both. um, Free month in their B community where you're going to meet a lot of like-minded people who are interested in nervous system-supported general strength and conditioning, human movement foundations, core and pelvic floor basics, nutritional programming, all of that. Um, So check them out, please. They're doing awesome work out there. This episode is also brought to you by Organifi. I have started using Organifi's green juice as a workout drink. I add a, a little packet of LMNT. You can go to drinklmnt.com beloved if you want to get a free starter pack with any purchase on their website. I add a, a packet of that to a shaker and then I add a scoop or a scoop and a half of green juice. And the green juice is loaded with so much nutrition it like gives you this like it like wakes you up for your workout. It's amazing. So what you can expect to find in their green drink is, are things like ashwagandha, which actually has, it's an adaptogenic herb that creates a little bit of stress in the body. It's sort of like ra- ra- ramping up your nervous system for a hard workout, um, but it doesn't leave you jittery. It's not caffeine. Ashwagandha has this like little hormetic stress to the system, which actually can help with muscle growth. Um, it helps with recovery. And that's why I add it to my, to my workout routine You're also gonna get a ton of antioxidants. Um, Moringa, spirulina, chlorella are all included. You're gonna find lemongrass, coconut water, I'm sorry, wheatgrass, coconut water. They've also added a big healthy serving of red beets which provides a bunch of essential nutrients for your overall fitness, minerals, some nitrates. Um, You're gonna get a ton of B vitamins from that. You will get a little splash of caffeine from some matcha they've added to the blend, some turmeric, some lemon, um, and then prebiotic powders which of course can feed your gut microbiome to help you digest all the protein or whatever it is you're taking um, after your workout. If you want to try their green juice, I'd recommend going to Organify.com slash Beloved. They have a, a really special deal right now for listeners of the show. If you buy their Sunrise to Sunset kit, which includes a 30-serving canister of, of the green juice, the red juice, and their gold latte, which is great at night, they're going to throw in 30 extra single-serving packets of their Pure, which helps with cognition, memory, focus, mental clarity, that like sort of mental fog that a lot of us get when we're raising little kids and still trying to do a lot of self-care, they're going to throw that in as a bonus. So go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on their sunrise to sunset kit or any of their products. They're all amazing. They're all USDA organic. They're all non-GMO. They're all glyphosate free, dairy free, gluten free. This is a perfect addition to an already healthy lifestyle. And if you're starting from scratch, this is also a great start. Organifi.com slash beloved. If you want to get some some green juice in your system um next up is bioptimizers bioptimizers is created by a uh, uh, wade lightheart who's a former um, bodybuilding champion and all of their products again are super super clean i talk a lot about their magnesium breakthrough but i've been recently doing a lot of stool analyses on my clients especially my fertility clients and i'm finding that their hormonal issues that pop up on like a dutch test or on your serum labs Oftentimes, you can take it back to the gut. And what's, I think, happening is that as people are experimenting with new diets, they're they're likely eating the right foods. But if you're not digesting those foods, you can't absorb those foods. So one product I've been really, really keen on is Bioptimizers Masszymes. It includes a variety of enzymes, um, including proteases and lipases, but also amylases to help you digest carbohydrates, proteins, and fats so that you can absorb those nutrients in the form of amino acids, fatty acids, etc. I love Masszymes. Um, I take it with every meal. I take three to four capsules with big meals, sometimes as many as five capsules. I will take a single capsule with small meals or snacks. And then I'll take a um, a single capsule at night, and my poops have been better than ever. I've been living with the Kingsbury's for a few weeks, and they eat a largely a carnivore diet with some you know some rice added in and fruits added in, so it's like a modified carnivore diet. And I feel great. I've been knocking the carnivore diet for a while. <laughs> But I think I've I've done even better on it because I've been adding mass signs. They've got a big fat bottle on their counter. And if you know anything about Kyle Kingsbury, he's one of the best podcasts in the game, the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. This guy has this stuff figured out. So he's kind of like my uh, consultant for certain, you know, aspects of this whole, you know, uh, sort of human optimization game. And optimizers is a key component to that for me, my family, my clients and the Kingsbury's. if you want to try their mass simes, go to buyoptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN. and we'll include all of these details in the show notes, guys, um, which can be found at belovedholistics.com slash podcast or in the podcast description on any podcast platform. Go there, pick up some mass simes, um, pick up like a three bottle three bottles, like like three month supply. And, um, and then while you're there, add some HCL breakthrough, which helps to start that digestive process in the stomach, especially if you have heartburn. Adding acid to your food is going to help digest that food so it doesn't go up in the wrong direction. It goes down into the small intestines. And of course, you've added mass signs so that those proteins, fats, and carbs can be further digested. You're going to love it. Again, go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic You'll save yourself 10%. Next up, we have Immunitel HCC. Um, created by my friend Mimi Linquist, who is co-creating our Clear and Free um, HPV course, which will be under the Born Free University umbrella. It is going to be, it's going to knock your socks off. If you have persistent HPV, a product that she has produced um, from the, it's a functional food from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms. It's called Immunintel HCC, that stands for Active hexose Correlated Compound. It has been clinically demonstrated by multiple large trials, in vivo trials, to help clear persistent HPV. Which is the virus that is thought to lead to cervical cancer, although I haven't fully figured that out yet. There's a lot that we don't know about viruses. Um, yeah, I just released a little mini-episode about some of the problems, let's just say, within germ theory as it's practiced nowadays. but. We do know that if your body's not clearing a little simple messenger particle like HPV, that there's a problem in your immune system. And immune intel works by upping your NK cells, your T cells by about 300%, helping the interconnectivity within your immune system, and um, and uh, sort of lowering—let's just say—lowering your systemic infl- inflammation by further dialing in and optimizing your immune system. It does this in a matter of, gosh, a month or two. I, you know, I take it quarterly, a whole bottle, a couple capsules twice a day, and um, I recommend it to all of my clients who are dealing with cervical dysplasia, with HPV, or even issues with it, with, within their microbiome or their gut. So um, there are an innumerable benefits um, to Immune Intel HCC. You can check out more at themedicine.com. That's T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com. And if you go there with code Beloved10, you'll save 10% on your supply of immune intel, I suggest again two to three bottles starting with that and then repeating it as necessary. Code Beloved10 there will save you ten percent on their immune intel. And why are there pick up some mushy love? It's an amazing additive, some functional mushroom additive to uh, to your coffee in the morning. And then last but not least, we natal New rising star in the prenatal uh, prenatal vitamin space. There's a lot of good brands out there, but WeNatal does things a little bit better, I think, than the others. First off, instead of taking eight pills, six to eight capsules a day, you're going to be just taking three. And you're still going to be getting all of the choline you need. You're going to be getting all the vitamin D you need. And um, you're going to be getting all the other great stuff, including methylfolate, not that junk folic acid that's been fortified in cereals and all that other junky processed food that's lining the aisles of your grocery store. Um, The other thing I really, really love about WeNatal is, number one, they're endorsed by Mark Hyman and Kelly Levesque. Mark Hyman has been a mentor of mine for a long time um, as I've I've, uh, invested wholeheartedly in my education um, through the Institute for Functional Medicine to learn more about a functional approach to gut health, to hormone health, etc. Um, so his endorsement means a lot, but I think most importantly, when you order um, their, uh, well, if, if you order any of their products, they're going to send you a starter kit that includes refillable glass jars. So if you go to the website, wenatal.com slash beloved, order their his and her prenatals, because guys, you have to be as healthy as possible as well in this process for this whole thing to go as well as you think, even if you're postpartum or if you're preconception. At any point, us guys have to take care of our health as well. You're going to get these ref- refillable glass jars, and then every month with a subscription, you're going to be sent a convenient pouch that is made from recycled materials to refill those glass jars. So, you know, none of the products that I've mentioned here are immune to this this sort of over consumption of of uh, sort of wasteful plastics and papers and cardboard and things. And We Needles really, really trying to do their their duty, their diligence in minimizing that. So. Everything is made without fillers, without binders. They're manufactured in small batches, so super high-quality control. I love this brand. I know you will, too. Go to wenatal.com beloved, and if you use, um, go there or use just code beloved at checkout. On any prenatal purchase, you're going to receive a free month supply of their Omega DHEA+. You know that I never recommend prenatals without some additional fish oil supplementation. Um, this is your insurance policy to an already healthy lifestyle to make sure that you and your baby and your partner are as um, nourished as possible from pre Conception all the way through postpartum. And you're going to get a, uh, a WeNatal journal um, in order to help dial in your mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being throughout the process too. All right. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Savannah Brown. She is a gangster. She um, is a very well-spoken, very direct, upfront, but very compassionate maternal justice advocate. She is the... Na- uh, the national director for Restore Forward and um you're going to love to hear from her. I'm just going to just going to leave it to to the conversation to speak for itself. Savannah Brown. Welcome. First off, am I saying your name correctly?
0: You are saying my name correctly. Thank God. Hell yeah. <laughs> thank you, for saying, Oh my God.
1: <laughs> that's my first win of the day. Uh, that's that's good. Um, Savannah, you are uh, an exceptional human. You're doing a lot of work as a black woman, as a black doula, serving black communities um, predominantly, I, I presume. Yeah. Um, why don't we start with I would have, you know, I've already given your bio and your accolades and whatnot. I want to start with this little quote that I found on your website. Actually, I guess tell everybody just the one-liner, you know, what you want them to know about how you show up in the world and also where they can find you because I'm going to be taking little snippets from your beautiful website so that they can go check it out themselves.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Thank you Nathan. I'm privileged and honored to be in this conversation with you. I feel like our relationship is actually growing like through these like <laughs> Collegiate oh my God, totally. But I also feel like we're in a commitment to be authentic and, um, you know, in integrity with each other and what each other does in the world. So I also appreciate you and just want to name that and say that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, Savannah Brown, you can find me as the national director at Black Women's Blueprint. Bang. So our website is actually RestoreNY.org. Um, you can find more of my kind of personal commitments to the world and black maternal health at Brown.com and at Sanctuary Medicine on Instagram.
1: Beautiful. Um,
0: so there are some of other places you can locate me. Um, I hope that if you're seeking and wayfinding in this work that you will reach out to me because i'm I'm in the business of building people's capacity to do this work with love and intentionality and integrity. Um, the way that I show up in the work is through the commitments that I have to my ancestors. It's absolutely necessary um, to honor them and to think of them as I do my work. Um, I know that I'm very much ancestrally rooted and grounded and we kind of use the language of called, called to this work. I love that. Yeah. Spiritually. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the times when it's like, why am I here? What am I doing here? That's what I turn to. Like, I kneel at my altar. I connect to my ancestors. I say, what the fuck? <laughs> pray about it because it's really challenging yeah. space that we're navigating. Um, so I just preface this conversation with that uh, understanding.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I live in Louisville and Brianna Taylor, her death was sort of reignited with, um, hmm. what event was it? That, it was right around covid it was, yeah. um, gosh, there was like basically we had we, we had a BLM movement rise out of Brianna Taylor's death. I can't remember, can't believe I'm not remembering George Floyd, George Floyd, and, George Floyd. and yeah, and, and you know a lot of our neighbors, a lot of you know, Kentucky's very segregated. We live in a very white predominant area, and and <laughs> we would be open to living absolutely anywhere, anywhere, but we had like 48 hours to find a house, and we landed in this beautiful neighborhood that just so yeah. happens to be on the outskirts of the city, but Almost entirely white, and everybody had been writing up the names of, of of black victims of police brutality and violence, and on their windows, and it was this really um, sort of you know there was this movement happening, and of course now there's a lot of controversy. People you know on both sides kind of see the BLM movement as controversial, but what and, and so I won't comment on that right now. But one thing that did come out of it for me was how do we talk to black women about black issues? And that's that's coming from a place of like genuine earnestness, Um, and even before we started recording, I asked you, do you want to be you know referred to as an African American woman or a black woman? So, I do want to ask you about ancestors next, but explain to me why do you why do you prefer many women, black women, prefer to be. Referred to as black, mm-hmm. although I'm sure you're not super picky. If somebody were to use African American, you probably would. Oh sure, wouldn't yeah. Mind, I mean, but... I
0: have African American roots, and I'm really proud of those roots. Um, yeah, my people are from Missouri and Mississippi, so I have, you know, my roots are in the South, also, um, which comes with like its own heat, literally, oh, yeah. right? Like just in terms of racial violence and racial tension, poverty, our great migration stories. I'm sitting in Michigan right now, so um, I'm living in Saginaw on. Ojibwe bands, um, my ancestry here, um, linked and connected with indigenous peoples and women's blood as well, um, whose blood is in this land that I currently sit on. Um, But I deeply resonate with blackness because of its vastness, because it to me articulates that it is a diaspora. I I know that while I have deep historical roots in the Southern part of, of North America, That my ancestors also crossed over on the transatlantic slave trade and black women's bodies and reproductive labor was also exploited here in this country and so when you think about my heritage my ancestry i regard my blackness Mm. Um, there is obviously a political intent behind using african-american right um the hyphenated kind of um moniker to describe our lived experience as well because it does also pay owed and tribute to the transatlantic slave trade and the labor, um, of our peoples. Um, but black is black is, is me, Like yeah. Yeah, black is, still, you know, I was with somebody from Missouri this weekend and they were like, I'm black as a mug. And they had a t-shirt on that <laughs> said it. Me, it just has a vibration to it. Sure. It resonates with my community, with the populations that I'm from and a part of. Um, and it also was a, as a political context. So my um, family are black Panthers also. No kidding. In exile in Tanzania. Um, So black power black Panthers um, is also a part of my kind of resounding word sound to describe myself and my life and my heritage as well. Um, So I'm always centering blackness in that way. So that's my political personal political um, decision, you know, yeah. Um, And if someone calls me African American, I'm just as extremely and remarkably proud. of of that lineage and that understanding
1: as well yeah well i I appreciate you even fielding that question because there is there is a sense you know i I don't know if you remember the book that came out right around george floyd's um murder uh let's call it what it is um yeah um there was a book by a white professor her name was robin deangelis and it was called white fragility or was it called White fragility yeah that's right and i thought there was a lot of great points brought up but uh, it didn't really seem to quite capture it, and maybe it was partly because it wasn't written by a woman who, who has lived the black experience, and yeah. um, so I'm I'm kind of curious. You know, I've got so much I want to talk to you about, but um, I just I just interviewed Kemi Birthjoy Johnson um, a couple of weeks ago, and she's lovely, a UK midwife, very very much like loud and proud, an advocate for um, not just owning your your race, your creed, however it is that you show up in the world. It's also, um, she also really is, uh, I think, like those things aside, she's just a great advocate for women. And I I think a part of her platform is like, we have to get over color, but, and I may be putting words into her mouth, but she's sort of like, this is a plight for women. This isn't just a plight for black women. And I think there was a little sentiment that was coming through with BLM, and maybe in kind of a twisted way. So I, I, I wonder when you're working as a black woman for women, for black women, I suspect and you can correct me, but I suspect that you're you're also fighting for the plight of all women. Um is is that true?
0: Yeah. I mean there's a quote that says, like, until black women are free, none of us are free, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean that's and
1: Spot Yeah, on. and
0: I, you know, I wrestle with that quote because I'm. It makes me feel like a type of way. Like it makes mm-hmm. me think, like, well, are y'all only gonna fight for us if it, if you think that it's gonna be a way? Sure. If it's gonna be a pathway or a vessel towards your own liberation, like, right. or can you love Black women, un unabashedly, unapod- unapologetically, unendingly?
1: Right. Even right. without
0: your liberation being a, a piece of the collateral in that liberatory fight. Right. That's, a, that's neither here nor there. I think, <laughs> like, in the conversation that we're saying right sure. now. Sure. Sure. Um, But I do believe that our, our liberations are tied together, are tethered to one another. And I think that that's a way to think about it, not only as a way of thinking about, well, will I fight for my sister or my sibling or my brethren? But, but what do I like, what do I have to fight for? What kind of liberation am I seeking? Um, And am I seeking the liberation of all? Yeah, right. And we know that Um, not to use like the language of colonization, we know that like liberation doesn't also come without sacrifice. So we know like, (laughs) on my way to freedom, like I may be lost or someone I love may be lost um, as a part of that, like kind of liberatory strategy. Um, And we live with that, like we're kind of existing and facing mortality at all times, as we seek liberation out. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like that's particularly evident and imminent right now when I think about Black maternal health and I think about the just immense casualties, like the lives that we can't get back um, that have like kind of illuminated or w- awakened or pulled the veil back on the particular moment that we in, are in, in terms of health, in terms of the healing that's needed in the community. Um, and I find it actually incredibly and remarkably relevant that you mentioned black lives matter as a context and also like as a backdrop yeah um this moment because it is a matter of reproductive justice when Mm. we think about police violence and um brutality you know one of the tenets and the pillars of reproductive justice that 12 black women coined in 1993 one of the tenets of those is like that we can like live in conditions that will like sustain our survival And right now, we don't have reproductive justice because the conditions that are actually built to, that are meant to be built to sustain our safety are are actually the ones that are threatening our lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And of course, there's an argument that those systems were never designed to keep us alive in the first place. Um, But that to me just has me thinking about like, what is our, when those 12 Black women coined reproductive justice and they said, yes, the right to have a child or the right to not have a child or the right to have a child who gets to live in conditions that sustain and ensure their livelihood. I think that they were forecasting um, such a complex space and a complex moment that we're in right now that is not necessarily a, an abortion debate. Yeah, It's about sovereignty and dignity, living a life of sovereignty right. and dignity and holding systems feet to the fire around whether or not they are contributing to that or, or taking that away from us mm. um and so i think you know for i can say like for the tribe that i'm a part of we're in deep investigation about whether or not we can depend on our systems to do so mm. um and i i can say like for the movement family and the political homes that i come from we have shouted at the government until we're blue in the face about the fact that like we matter our bodies matter our lives matter our children deserve dignity Um, that you should love the flesh of Black people, as Toni Morrison says in Beloved, right?
1: Yeah, beautiful. Um,
0: And we've done that till we're blue in the face without affirmation back from that system. Yeah. Um, And so I sit at tables with people who are thinking not just about abolition, but also what the alternatives are after abolition, right? Like, what are we rooting up and growing Out of the seeds that our ancestors planted, including many still living those 12 black women who coined reproductive justice and and who are a part of a genealogy that says like our lives matter deeply. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You brought up the word respect. I mean, there's just not a lot of respect for from person to person nowadays. It's always like you need to have an angle there. There needs to be some sort of critical mass that turns people over to now caring about the the lives of black people i personally kind of struggled with I, I when i asked that i'm realizing that the way that i asked that question before kind of pigeonholed you into saying yes i care about all women's reproductive you know issues but real what i was really trying to get at i guess uh, that I, if i could take that back is that when people were saying wait all lives matter it kind of came off as like a bit of a like a dilutional process like yeah like yeah let's all respect one another equally and that actually kind of drew the energy draws the energy a little bit away from the reality that women are yeah. are more likely to suffer great morbidities even mortality in just having a baby you know in the United mm-hmm. States in a in a country that spends an outstanding amount of money on maternity care and and granted yes we're falling behind for white women as well all women in the United States actually have a have a worse shot of making it through unscathed you know childbirth but mm-hmm. but the fact that black women are maybe two to three up to maybe five times more likely to die, even though it's a low absolute risk, like that really should be something that we talk about. Like very specifically, if you have more melanin in your, you know, produced in your in your skin, that you actually have a worse shot. And it's because of all these myths that have been told, even somebody very close to me once recently, actually retired nurse of like 50 years she said, well, black people do have thicker skin. I, I remember it was harder to inject, you know, or start exactly. IVs and whatnot. It was like, God, like these myths are really, really damaging. And so it might be a couple more generations before we make yeah. much progress. But I would like to, it would be, I think it's helpful for all of us nowadays to think back that, to like the civil rights movement. And, and those movements were really, really critical in getting basic rights, but we actually haven't made much progress. Like there isn't that much progress. Um, despite that being what's almost 70 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: and I, I challenge people, I, I so appreciate you kind of like walking that question back and like really wanting to be intentional about like, but can we say like black women deserve dignified, like care and respect? Like, can we just say that? And can right. we be. with? Like, the fact that, yes, when Black women are free, all people are free, but also but also Black women. Right, <laughs>
1: right, right, but, right, right.
0: Let's like actually be in a politic and in a mandate of centering Black women right. and centering Blackness and naming the thing and calling it out. There is something I believe, and I, I also am deeply spiritual, so I also believe in the power of naming things and being e- extremely explicit about those needs and... I'm sure you would not be surprised how often I'm in a room with um, many doctors, MDs, OBs. It's up to you, Nathan, whether or not you call those your people. know <laughs> 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 you have a whole different set of people. Savannah, that I'm, in
1: a, I'm in an identity crisis right now. I I am the master of the the chameleon. I can I can blend in <laughs> with any crowd if it's going to lead to better care for the people that yes. I've, I've taken an oath to care for. So that doesn't My mean that I'm a... has to
0: be a tremendous, remarkable superpower though, Nathan, it, and, it, and it I, really... I appreciate you for doing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That of work.
1: Yeah. It, and that, what I'm not saying is that when I'm in a room of like old crotchety white guys that I'm like, yeah women am I right like that's I can't do that but I (laughs) I can blend in with them enough to maybe start to put like some feelers in there so they start thinking about things differently it's it's a very hard line to walk and um I even was looking at the list of podcast guests that I've had like coming up to you and I was gonna like I always like to say related episodes and it was like gosh There's a lot of white people out there that have a lot to say, like, where are the black voices? Where are the Latino voices? Where are the indigenous voices? And so it's something I'm really pondering, like even in the podcast space in general, there's just not a lot of uh, insights coming directly from, you know, the mouths of those people who we, we pretend to care about their justice. Right. And so and I say we I mean the collectives of society when we say all lives matter. It's like, yeah, it's presumed we mean black women, but let's just call it what it is. Let's let's talk about the care of black women, and that's what we're going to do today. So,
0: definitely, and and you know, I what I was going to name is just like how challenging it is actually to get a lot of physicians, doctors, sometimes OBs, to say black women, Mm. (laughs) like to just utter like the words like black women or my black patients like right like there's actually like a deep rhetorical challenge um in the discourse of right. medicine to speak powerfully over the lives of black women to speak the care of black women to speak for the regard of black women um and i'm not only talking about like those that blame like black people for their own suffering Because we've seen a lot of that as well in medicine. Like, well, if only you would eat better, if only you would not smoke, if only you would stop doing drugs, if only you didn't, you weren't born into a cycle of poverty, if only you had a different insurance type. We've seen that, like, kind of blaming on Black community in medical racism and scientific racism. But I'm talking about the opposite of that, to actually, like, uplift, culturally affirm Um revere blackness even like which is like my dream (laughs) like revere the sovereignty and dignity of black women see our bodies as sacred see our health and well-being as sacred space see my participation and my autonomy in my health and well-being as sacred space see my medicine my herbs my witchcraft my rituals my ceremony as sacred and as to be revered and deeply regarded right like that's the like full other end of the spectrum Mm. that I'm constantly dreaming about because I can't even get people to say, yeah, black people deserve like amazing medical care (laughs) or like an amazing nurse or someone who speaks their language when they they walk in and they're in labor, right? I can't even get people to say that, let alone to say like, I love blackness, I love black people and I fight for the indisposability of that blackness. Um, Mm. that's what I dream of when I think about the kinds of allied work that I want to see in medical systems and healing systems, um, and co-conspirators who are seeking to create and be in deep, um, locked arms with blackness and and the care of black people.
1: And I don't know how people couldn't actually see that as relevant. Like so much of, if we want to call it American society has been shaped like, very, very clearly, obviously shaped by the influences through the African diaspora. And unfortunately, most of that came through the trans- transatlantic slave trade um, and the Caribbean and the generations to come. And and of course, there is a very, very rich black culture here. And of course, there's there's like, you know, some... I don't know, hubris or there's, there's some stigmatization around embracing that, you know, as white people in some regards, because it's like, that's not your culture. But everybody is a part of this melting pot. So without like diluting it too much, people forget that like something as simple as rock and roll, blues, like the, in, the musical influence alone, everything mm-hmm. you're tapping your foot mm-hmm. to, there's a good chance that, that was actually a beautiful contribution of mm-hmm. the black people that came here. Not against yeah. their will, you know, nonetheless, but yeah. but so so to imagine a world without people of color, if you just want this whitewashed world, that doesn't sound like, a, you know, any more beautiful a place as if we, you know, than if we just had like this strict binary of man-woman or straight-gay or, yeah. you know, whatever else. These, all these like false binaries that we sort of hold so near and dear. So, yeah. God, that sounded like the whitest thing I've said in a long time, but... <laughs>
0: No, I have so much to say about what you just li- uplifted, which is that like we have a problem loving and respecting and holding sacred blackness. But we have no problem and again, the greater we of the society, of society, we have no problem extracting from it. We have no problem right. violating it. Right. We have no problem consuming it. We have no problem torturing it. Yeah. Um, we have no problem selling it and trafficking it and and criminalizing it and incarcerating it. We have no problem with any of that, but but our problem is with even the parts of it that has been given over or or taken
1: taken from <laughs> more likely yeah.
0: taken even yeah. like macaroni and cheese, right? Like this is a this is a legacy of Thomas Jefferson's enslaved chef.
1: No right? kidding.
0: And, and rock and roll the extraction of Black women's labor and Black women's spirituality. I mean, Rosetta Tharp, who is the most incredible and influential rock and roll leader, um, was you know, communicating ancestrally when yeah. she was sharing that music, and that was extracted, mm. right? So there's no influence that we have historically in the historical record without violent extraction. Right. We don't have an example of it. <laughs>
1: I mean, um, I, don't, I don't think I have too many white supremacists that listen to my podcast, but if they are, their dinner was just ruined. That mac and cheese will never taste the same.
0: <laughs> I mean, sincerely, right? Uh, and not only to say like how that has, you know, how the world has benefited on the back and labor of blackness, but also how blackness has like suffered
1: yeah.
0: horrendously mm. Um, from that, from those benefits, right? Um, And obviously that's the definition of capitalism, but it it just, to me, continues. I see it still, like, I still see it, like, in my family, in my community, like, when I'm sitting around the dinner table, like, on holiday, like, those sufferings are evident.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) Like, in my people, like,
1: Mm. in
0: my grandmother's tongue, in... The experience that I have, if I like dare step foot into church, cause <laughs> I need to go see my niece, like perform a recital or something.
1: <laughs> right. That witchcraft like, thing. But, you have to but, lose that but, label yeah. for a minute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Might have to hang that one up for a second, just to like enjoy Sunday morning. Leave but...
1: your witchy herbs at the door. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um But also I will say, you know, you just reminded me, I have, such a remarkable and beautiful um, great friend and colleague of mine, Ron Manigal Bryant, who writes Talking to the Dead and she does an ethnography of nine Gullah women who preserve their ancestral medicines while also being leaders in Christocentric spaces in the United States and the Georgia Sea Islands. And she just talks about the deep necessity for their survival, their tactics, their strategies, and their creativity with Mm. reckoning with their God and what that God looks like and how that God has sustained their survival. Um, And she shares just like remarkable stories of, you know, they're blending their root work um, with their more um, traditional Christian um, values and also how that is an embarkment of resistance for them. And so I say that to say like blackness is also complex, like how could you not worship it? It is just so remarkable in the ways that it has sustained um, healing for communities um, worldwide, diasporically. Right. Um, And that's a part of my loving blackness is being in commitment and acknowledgement of those stories and of those ways, Yeah, yeah. those ways. And that's why also I sit at the feet of black midwives as frequently as possible to be utterly reminded of some of those life-giving strategies, those life-giving practices, those ways of ritualizing and ceremonializing and healing. And, you know, I've learned um, the hard way to like not necessarily share what those are (laughs) on platforms like this. You know, I've like in my younger years of learning and witnessing things, I would like eagerly be like, did you know that this is how black midwives (laughs) either care for the placenta or do X, Y, and Z and learn? that a part of my reverence and my regard is to um, be in sacred preservation of what's been shared with me. Mm. Um, so I won't go into to explicit examples here, but but those are the kinds of ways that I kind of center myself and ground myself yeah. in this work, especially when we're in such challenging times, like yeah. around morbidity and mortality that we're we're sitting with and witnessing
1: mm. right now. I, I think this is a great opportunity, actually, to very briefly, let's talk about ancestors for a second, because even the practice of birthkeeping in the United States is not something that was started by J. Marion Sims, who, by the way, was experimenting oh. on black women, actually, for a per- type of procedure that would fix um, what we call fistulae, no anesthesia, yeah. it was just sort of like, let's just use these, you know, black you know folk healer or folk people you know like it wasn't even like regarded as a part of our society it was like these people won't be missed um
0: oh i have like tears in my eyes i'm so upset it's a
1: really shitty part of our history i have to say and he's yeah. called the father of gynecology as if that label even fucking matters to anybody um that's not a label i would want to ever hold because we the sordid history of gynecology is going to be a big solo cast coming up in the future for me i did one on the history of witches, women healers, and midwives, though. And um, it was through the, it was a very Eurocentric lens that I was viewing it because the witch hunts occurred for the most part for three or four centuries in Europe, at least the way that it was documented. There's witch hunts even happening nowadays in present day. I'm going to use the continent of Africa because I don't, so I, you know, anyways, um, but the reason I bring this, this whole thing up is that you know a lot of people turn to the medical system ever since the early 20th century birth has moved indoors the doctors especially white men like me who wore white coats now became the purveyors of safety and 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 um you know whatever uh <laughs> intervention um all of the things that now in the medical system they hold near and dear but the ancestral lineage of midwifery dates way back way, 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 way back, specifically to the continent of Africa. And I'm saying the continent, guys, because you have as many cultures in the continent of Africa as you probably do in the rest of the entire world combined. There is a variety of dialects, a variety of, of cultural practices, and midwifery traditionally has been honored as an apprenticeship, and it has been passed down through lineages, and it eventually arrived in the United States again, thanks to the slave trade, so to speak, and um, and now there is a real, um, there is a very very rich, let's say, to invest in the study of midwifery through what are now called grand midwives. These to be called granny midwives would provide you with such deep insights not only into the practice of midwifery but the history of how women were cared for in childbirth so as a doula what are some of your reflections um you 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 know you've you've talked about connecting with your ancestors did you have did you come from a lineage of black women african women who were caring for women in childbirth Everybody, When Sarah Rosser and I created the Born Free Method, which is the most comprehensive, both data-driven and sort of spiritually-based synthesis of prenatal and postpartum education for both women and their partners, um, we wanted to be as inclusive as possible. Because when com- people come to, care, to, to receive care from Sarah and I, we don't really, really care what you look like, who you are, how you identify. We don't care about any of that. You're here to get care, and we're here to provide that care. We were very, very um, upfront with the designers of our course. We invested about twenty-five thousand dollars to to create the best course on the planet for this purpose, and um, we wanted to include as many images, as many stories, um, provide as much rhetoric to, to to sort of elucidate the history of midwifery and the role of the Medicare medical system in um, in leaving you know women of color behind in our efforts to improve our statistics for both moms and their babies in childbirth in the united states and we're going to be bringing in savannah to add a couple lessons specific to the black birth workers and the women of color in our community who just want to have a beautiful birth and they don't want to die in the process they don't want anything to happen to them or their babies everybody wants that but black women are um, suffering especially black women um, of all of the women of color are suffering more at the hands of the medical system than others. So we're bringing Savannah into the course. We're constantly evolving it. When you enroll in the Born Free Method, which you can do easily at method.com, you get lifetime access and any future updates. We've already got about 20 episodes we're gonna be adding, lessons we're gonna be adding by the end of the, the year, 2023 here. And is uh, gonna be a part of that journey for us. So you don't wanna miss out on this. We are enrolling now. Go to method.com jump on a call with us. We'll get you enrolled right then and there that day. And um, you are going to love it. You're going to be part of this private, born-free community. We're building an army of people that want to provide advocacy, compassion for themselves. They want to be guided through lifestyle modification. They want to know the risks, benefits, alternatives to everything under the sun. But they also want to maintain the reality that birth is more than medical procedure. It is a spiritual transformation. All of our information can be be found at bornfreemethod.com. We will see you there. All right, back to my conversation now with... The truly badass Savanna Brown.
0: Certainly, um, well, one who's living. She's ninety. Black women in my life live long as hell. <laughs> So I have a 90 year old grandmother who was a labor and delivery technician in the South and the Jim Crow South. And, Mm. you know, I can tell you stories, Nathan, like she wasn't allowed to touch anybody, you know, as a black woman because she's serving white women. Um, Mm. But I think she had a particular like mysticism about her in which she, (laughs) she tells a story about how she always ended up in the, in, the elevator unattended with the no doctor present. And almost every birth she encountered was, was a precipitous birth. And by the time they got upstairs, it was just like, it was on and popping.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: And I was like, I think that that had something to do with my grandmother's strength, her spirituality, her knowledge, her wisdom, her knowing how the body should be shaped, how it should be held, how it should not be held, how to breathe, right? Her understanding of physiologic birth, her fearlessness, her understanding and deep reverence for the design of the woman's body, no matter what their race were, or even if they spat on her while she was supporting them.
1: That's a strong, a strong human, strong woman.
0: Yeah. I mean, mm. this is a, this is a remarkable person who knows why they're on the earth Yeah, <laughs> and is serving and is serving and in service of that purpose and of that mission. Um, so that's one. And then um, you talk about the continent and the relationship between ancestral midwifery for Black women in the United States and the continent of Africa. I had the privilege of traveling through South Africa with Machilo Motse and visiting over 50 Indigenous midwives who are from various, various, various um, districts and townships throughout South Africa. And, you know, all of the work in south africa around traditional midwifery indigenous midwifery specifically is spiritually based and so in all of the conversations that i had and all of the clinic-based work that i had and all of the the community-based work that i did with these midwives one in particular her name is mary Manyeke, who just a fierce incredible spirit you know, she. Um, I was traveling with another midwife at the time and she said, you know, I can't proceed this conversation with you. She was saying this in her native tongue and it was translated for me. She said, I can't proceed with this conversation with you until a midwife from your lineage tells me that, wow. you know, this conversation is ordained to happen and divine to happen. So we sat quietly <laughs> as she asked permission, right? Which is a very deeply African tradition of of asking for permission from the ancestors to proceed with the intent that we all say we're proceeding with. Wow. Um, and for this, it was to learn, to understand, to exchange um, Indigenous midwifery techniques between one another. Um, and so she came back to myself and the other midwife and she said, you're good. <laughs> wow. And she's like, there's two of them that I know are for, he- for you and they're not for me. Um, so I say that to say that there mm. are ancestors in my legacy and my lineage and my genealogy whose names I don't know, right? And this is this is very typical of a Black African-American experience, that due to colonization, due to enslavement, due to the capturing and the rupturing of our relationship between the continent and um, our state domestic side living, there's just a lot of names I don't know. And there's a lot of seeking that I have to do, um, even spiritually, in the legacy and the tradition of midwife um, as a doula. Um, So the answer is yes, there certainly are shoulders that I stand on, faces that I seek, wisdom that I seek um, in the work that I do. And, you know, one of the midwives told me, you know, because in the United States, it's so important to clarify the difference between a doula and a midwife. I just kept saying over and over again, I'm not a midwife. I'm not a midwife. I'm not a midwife. And one of the spiritual midwives looked at me and she said, you can't keep saying that because you exist in this, this legacy of midwifery. And it's, deeply spiritual and deeply ancestral. And she said, you have to think of everything you do through midwifery. She said, even when you take out your trash, when you get home, like stop denying this um, legacy, this inheritance, um, because it's irresponsible. You know, Um, so you know that was something for me to wrestle with and to reckon with, and you know, just to be very clear, doulas do not in the United States do not have the same scope of practice as midwives do in the United States. But the um, conversation and the conviction that this midwife was bringing to me was around the spiritual relationship to my ancestors and and my lineage and my legacy, and so she was offering to me um, to stand inside of the legacy of midwifery that I come from, even if I consider myself a doula as a full scope of practice. Um, just to make connect the dots for folks who are listening and who are doulas, I wouldn't advise you to go around calling yourself a spiritual midwife or a midwife, <laughs> especially if you haven't been counseled around that. Um, but that that is a part of my testimony and definitely a part of my kind of um, spiritual and clinical maturation in the work and legacy of Big
1: what do you think about, I know you don't seem like the most judgy person, but what do you think about Ina May's <laughs> book being known as, or being titled Spiritual Midwifery? Do you feel like there was a little bit of a hijacking of that term? I don't actually know where they got that term, but I'm kind of yeah. curious.
0: I mean, I think, unfortunately, again, back to the the conversation that we were having earlier about not loving Blackness, but being okay extracting violently mm-hmm. from it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> That's mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. where I land with that. Um, and I don't want to like get in a interrogative debate about Ida B. Gaskin's intentions. Um, because white people have spirituality as well. I think something that's very misconceived all the time is like that there's a lack of culture and um spiritual like boundlessness and whiteness. If y'all believe that, like please go sit with your <laughs> ancestors and do some work around that because that's not true. Sure. Um, but what I would say is. Um, in terms of the arc and legacy of what was taken from Black midwives, there is a, a critical conversation to be had there around how a lot of our practices, a lot of our assets, even our medicines as Black midwives has been extracted from us and, and we're demonized for it. But when other people do it, it's it's a beautiful like festival. <laughs> And so I'm challenged with that, you know, when I think about like an enemy Gaskins or folks who kind of fall into that camp, because um, these are the tools and the medicines that black women have um, gifted to this field and to this landscape. Uh, However, like our our midwifery bags were taken from us, like Mm. when we were doing that, um, that was very demonized and even um, heinously and wrongfully criminalized at times. So I wrestle with that, I grapple with that, I struggle with it. Um, I think we're in such a trivial debate right now around like things like licensure and things like that, that we can't even really get at those kind of more egregious, I think cultural imbalances and toxicities and and diseases that we're actually wrestling across across racially as midwives. Because we're so distracted by like the big fights, you know, the landscape fights. Sure, We're actually not like talking about those things. Um, as deeply, and I wanted to throw something back at you, Nathan. You brought up James Marion Sims, and if it's appropriate for me to ask you a question, please. Um, you know, I, 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 you, when you were talking about him, and we talk about him all, all of the time, as like this kind of like historical figure who like is just like positioned in a sketch <laughs> or a painting, right? Um, uh, for one, James Marion Sims was not alone; he had co-conspirators. Yeah, who really, you know, a, a, a cadre of other doctors. Um, who bared witness and who also you know co-conspired in in the violence and the dismemberment of black enslaved women um and their babies <laughs> and their babies right but one of the things i would ask you is um if you know I, I i i could i could see how how a james marion sims could have used an abolitionist perspective and you know i think about like the many lives the multi-lives that we all live and i'm curious like if you could have a conversation with him, you know, like to actually literally go back in time to like sit in front of him, to bear witness to whatever violence or greed he was like existing inside of or living inside of, um, what would, what would that conversation look like? And I wonder, you know, yeah. you might have had conversations with a James Marion Sims, like in the contemporary <laughs> landscape, I'm sure you've been in unfortunate debates and conversations with, with, doctors but i'm curious if one you think an abolitionist intervention at the time would actually ch- have changed the tra- trajectory of things given the influence that james Marion Sims yeah. had Yeah. and then um two like if you were in the position to intervene what 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 do you what do you believe that might have looked like
1: i actually don't think that there would have been any intervention that even made sense to anybody back then uh, i think that what we have to consider and the reason I haven't done this, actually, originally with my this this podcast that you're on right now, I was going to do like a 10-part series on like these bad figures over the course of wow. medical history, like ob specific. And mm. I, I decided not to because it, it is not fair to point a finger at that person who did the wrong thing. I do think that if I was in front of them and I felt the way that I do now, I would have a hard time keeping my mouth shut and I would say like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But we have to consider context, and I know that th- this rattles people's cages a little bit. Okay. You know, Like moral relativism comes in, and I'm not saying that for the times, hey, he didn't know. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we had quite a dilemma, to say the very least, around our relationship as white people, as colonizers. Like That was our entire business. Let's command and conquer, and that has always been a part of U.S. history. So. You know even nowadays when people um, I can go back to J. Marion Sims, but because I don't really know who he was I don't really know who his co-conspirators were or whatever It's it's actually very hard to say what an evil man that was I actually think he was a part of a giant system that everybody was like this is a great idea So Mm -hmm. we should really be upset with the system and likewise today Whenever people are like I can't believe that doctor did this. Let's get take him down. I'm like guys we are all consumers of healthcare. We all go to the hospital. We all see these things, and especially as a physician, you see this shit happening every day. Not quite to the degree that Jane Barry and Sims, you know, did it, but I just told you that there was a person in, who's close to me who, fifty, has been doing this for fifty years and still thinks that black people have thick skin. Is yeah. that an evil yeah. person? I know for this person, for sure, is not an evil person. They are deeply spiritual. They're deeply loving and caring and compassionate. But they're a part of a greater cultural um,
0: dissonance,
1: dissonance. yeah, structure. And a, a structure that permits this type of shit to happen. I mean, we just saw the family in Texas who had their kiddo stripped away by CPS for yes. very unclear reasons. It wasn't even like there are a lot of people who are like, "Yep, yeah, that was the right thing to do. But we have a system that for some some reason, the Swiss cheese model just let this slide through one door after another after another. Until this family was horrifically traumatized, um, and so so the, the the in summary, I guess what I'll say is it's very hard for me in the way that I think about things to see a single perpetrator as the bad guy, as opposed to a part of a larger um, mm. a larger issue at hand. And when we I think magnify mm. it and just look at one person, J. Marion <clears throat> Sims, we miss the actual big picture, which is what you alluded to earlier. Mm. This is. This is actually a quite deeper problem than licensure for midwives. There's a lot of horizontal violence amongst midwives. White midwives racist against black midwives. Like there is a lot of layers to this onion of reproductive justice <clears throat> for all the people, okay. but especially for black women. So that's my long-winded uh, sort of dodging around your question. But I, I would like yeah. to think that I would I would take it to him, you know, and all of his co-conspirators. <laughs> but I think that we all think yeah. we're Captain America all of a sudden, you know. Um, I know.
0: I know, no, I appreciate you grappling with me, grappling with that with me in real time because I think about these things a lot. Like I think about, you know, as a feminist and as also someone who comes from a highly traumatized like background and and set of populations who are highly systemically traumatized. I also often think like, well, this is what I would have done. Like. You know, or, and I, and I like our humanity, we are all like, we are all victims in this patriarchal system. And sometimes I sit with midwives who just like weep in my arms because they're like, I have to work in this fucking hospital and I have to like contribute to this system of and this set of violations that I know go completely against (laughs) what I know to be true. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and many of them will look at me and be like i am the problem i can't even have a conversation with you about like the problem and how we solve the problem when like 7 days out of the week like i'm a part of that problem and and midwives that i deeply love and deeply trust that tr- are trying to piece back together and do the you know again to quote tony morrison do the rememory work of reframing and recentering and regrounding themselves in the true values and the true politics and the true model of midwifery while situated inside of a greater system that's just like, yep. And after 24 hours, if the water's broken, then people have to go home or go to the OR, <laughs> right? Like, that's yeah, that is the, those are the structures that I think that we're not often talking about that we're situated in. And you know, one of the things that I think has emerged, and I think naturally in a movement, just like we see in Black Lives Matter, when when the police kill someone, we are like the pol- that police officer is on trial. That's right. The that's whole exactly. The damn right. system right. isn't on right. trial. Right. Right. That police officer is on trial, and when
1: and, and we want to say that that's in- justice that that policeman got his got what it came to him. What about the other 8 million policemen who potentially could have done the same thing in the exactly. same circumstances because they're a product of mother culture, this milieu of influences that are not even really um, visible to us? Like, they're so subconscious, the way that we act, which is to give Robin D'Angelo some credit. That was one point that she made. Like, you have racist tendencies. It's okay. It's because you were raised in a white community and never saw a black person until you went to college. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Acknowledge that. There was other parts of her book I didn't really like, but anyways, I digress. Um, I'm, I'm totally with you there.
0: Yeah, and I feel the same way when we're like, okay, a black woman died in the hospital, and now we're like, you, 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 like the person who administered the epidural, the person who did the cesarean section, right? And, and while I believe deeply, I believe deeply in accountability, especially if there's a track record of violence with an individual, there is also this holding the system accountable right because otherwise individuals who are part of that system just continue to be just as much a victim of that system and i think we're uncomfortable with that right i think we're deeply uncomfortable with that because there's disproportionate because there's a discourse of power involved
1: Mm.
0: both with policing and with with um medical practitioners there's a discourse of power so we are not able to talk about systems without talking about people and i think we're challenged by that and i think we need to sit and deeply strategize and be intentional about how we think about structures of accountability how we think about reconciliation and repair and the reason i asked you the question about james marion sims is because there is so much historical repair that just hasn't been done yeah and and i agree pulling down statues is not the only way to do that it is it's actually not the most holistic way to do that um and 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 of course i believe that a spiritual intervention is needed and i'm not ashamed to say that but there are other me forms too. i think me of,
1: too actually me of, too <laughs> right
0: we need a revolution like <laughs> let's get out of here so so you know i i wrestle with these questions a lot in my work and i don't like to sit and, and just have conversations in a vacuum without like really giving ourselves the honor of of holding holding a larger conversation even if all we have are or it are
1: questions. Yeah. Oh man, Savannah, we're going to have to do another, uh, another interview because, um, I want to go, I want to get into that, you know, this sort of spiritual, I hate to use the word awakening. It sounds so cliche. It's so like vanilla, maybe. But, maybe. Um, but maybe, you know, in some ways, a lot of people are like, let's burn the system down. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, you don't realize the system itself is the Leviathan like you're talking about not just the the hospitals you're not just talking about the industry like our corporations big pharma you're not just talking about our politicians and legislators and you're not just talking about um like the people that are enforcing all of these policies like the mili- some people I've heard it called the medical military industrial complex like this thing is a leviathan and so i used to think i'm going to change it from within and not until I stepped out that I realized, hey, we can build a life raft over here to help sustain people in the meantime. And I kind of feel like that's, your, your work is you're straddling both worlds as well. You're, you're yeah. trying to see systemic change, but you also realize that right now my boots on the ground are helpful in this moment with this woman giving birth, which is really where the spiritual midwifery piece actually I think is is very therapeutic. See, you mm-hmm. know, And what I always say, I, I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but if we wanna change any of these bigger systemic issues, We have to start with how we welcome babies into the world like if we can't get that right in the respect and honor of any woman who's bringing life into the world like if we can't get that right i'm not sure we have much hope for anything for any of the injustice in the world and this problem is not just a us issue this is happening everywhere in the world so i do want to spend a couple minutes savannah i know you probably want like we could go on for an extra four hours but I do want to give you, I want, I want to spend a couple minutes just talking a little bit about this line that I got from your website, which is, um, again, we'll repeat mm-hmm. it. I believe this came straight from restoreny.org. Sanctuary medicine is a cradling space for healing, dignity, and safety. And those are the three things that we've been talking about. What, yeah. what does healing, um, What, what um, how do we frame this?
0: Mm.
1: Looking at the black community at large. Um, what healing is required? That's the first part of my in this final question, and then how can we dignify Black women regarding reproductive health injustice? And, and then, and then also, why do Black women need safety? Why do they feel so unsafe? Is there a? Uh, we've already kind of gotten into this, but but looking at those three questions as a sort of uh, you know amalgamated into this beautiful statement on your on your website, what for somebody listening, what. Would you like them to know about what we can start doing in the in the immediate, but then also in the near future to start to shift things around, like the basic things?
0: Yeah. If I could just start with safety and work back to healing, Please, I yeah. think the reason that Black women need safety or calling for a need to safety is because of, I think we started to talk today about just all of the external, and I would say internal, Forces and factors at play that are constantly threatening the safety of Black women um, in particular. And there's really not a location or a realm or a space or a person where Black women can feel completely safe. Yeah. Like, yet. Yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so that um, recalibration, you know, even epigenetically the seeking and need for safety it requires obviously a social cultural rewiring yeah and then on the individual level it requires a neuroplastic spiritual cycle emotional
1: mm. rewiring <laughs> so easy
0: <laughs> well let's do it tomorrow <laughs> yeah.
1: no i i'm only teasing because you you are using like some of the, the like on the fringe and i don't mean that in a bad way like you are actually going there. Like we are talking about mind, body, spirit connection. We need a revolution of how we as a species show up in the world. And I think that that is actually spot on. Um, So I'm glad that you're leading the charge. You're the vanguard. I'll be bringing up the cavalry from behind. (laughs) I wrestle with this every day. If we could just
0: hold the the complexity and the matrices of safety, that's one. Yeah. I think dignity for Black women has to be defined by Black women.
1: Mm. And
0: that's what I love about Black women.
1: Mm.
0: Um, And I say that for every Black woman who is a church mother and every Black woman who's a sex worker, like she's got to tell us what dignity is to her. Um, And none of us are one, none of us are the same. And our, our experience of dignity is currently informed by these kind of six, these systems, these factors, these, you know, these, these forces that weather us. But I do believe that there's a, there's a, there's an afterlife to this violence, wherein we actually get to dream the possibility of what our, what our dignity is and gets to be held inside of our, our wildest possibility, not the possibilities against the backdrop of racism, sexism, misogyny, capitalism, Mm -hmm. periodless violence, right? But one that is like our own mm. and then what is required for healing my god i mean just I think some that... softball
1: final questions here for you savannah <laughs> <laughs> like okay
0: <laughs> i mean what is required for healing i think um again to me it really does resound ancestrally like it has to be spiritual it has to be ancestrally done um, reparations are required for healing, and to me, that that also embodies the the spiritual, and the the historical, cultural, emotional reparations that mm-hmm. Black women are owed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's and not just like was, a check from from you know Trump, you know whoever the yeah. president is, like, hey, here's your twelve hundred dollars. Like, y- y- yeah, are, we, no. are we even now? Like, it doesn't really quite work like that. So. <laughs> no.
0: And, you know, I I believe in the material repair that Black women are owed, specifically in the United States,
1: Yeah,
0: um, land reparations, right, as a part of um, the immense reproductive and productive labor that Black women contributed, and and that was extracted from Black women on this country, land reparations are owed to those descendants. And that's actually
1: extra complicated, because we stole it from, like, a number of First Nations tribes as well. Right. And then black women on, and men were working it. So like, it's whoever it belongs to. It's certainly not not people that look like me. Perhaps through that through what you're saying, that's tricky. Right.
0: But ninety percent of the land in the United States is owned by white people. Oh yeah,
1: and it'll probably be a hundred percent when Bill Gates is done with it. <laughs>
0: Seriously.
1: Billy Willie, I like to call him.
0: Oh my God, I didn't know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh Billy Willie. Yeah. Just Healing trouble. definitely
0: requires repair, I guess, is what I will have to say. And, and you know, that repair is about the ruptures that have occurred, and that does include, you know, our Indigenous siblings. Yeah. Um, who my my great colleague, Farrah Tanis, is doing a, a very courageous project right now to transfer 300 acres of land back to Indigenous and Black women, wherein they will co-steward that land together. And she says when she sits with Indigenous women as a Haitian-American woman, she says, you know, our afterbirth is in this land, right? Um, yeah. The afterbirth of our, our ancestors is in this land. And so our repair is absolutely necessary for our healing. Once we can have land, we can grow fresh food. We can Montessori our children on that land. We can, you know, we can live safely. We can charter ourselves into freedom in the way that we we seek to, right? Um, and that is a part of our healing. That is a part of our um divestment from yeah. those systems that impact our safety, that impact our dignity, that are currently, you know, barricading us from our healing. Yeah. So mm. it won't happen overnight. Um, but again, this is back to the conversation about what am I willing to give up on the way to, to liberation and on the way to freedom. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And and it's those are the challenges that many of us are faced with in, in this deep work that mm. we've been endowed.
1: Yeah. Uh, You know, ever since you started talking about land, I was thinking like what a perfect allegory for the, in in some ways, um, in some ways, the allegory of our treatment of Mother Earth is actually a perfect representation of how we've treated Black women and Black men, which is this sort of extrication of, as you mentioned, of their labor, of their, of their greatest assets. And -hmm. then also simultaneously discarding them when we're done with it. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I wonder if there are any black authors that have actually written about this sort of land debacle, because that actually Mm -hmm. is, is a really beautiful allegory. For me, I, you know, personally, I don't think anybody owns the land. I actually think this is not ours to own. And There are white people who through our sort of capitalistic, you know, intentions have have just stripped our beautiful planet of so many of its of its valuable resources and and just like kind of kicked it, you know, kicked it to the curb so much so that we're going to like go to Mars now and just and just repopulate, you know, and earth we're done with earth now, you know, but at the same time. If we have to, if we have to have some sort of regulations over various bodies of land, how would our current-day society look? Had we been a little bit more mm, respectful of this sort of land ownership thing, you know? I mean, what if every slave had been given a hundred acres of land and just cared for it in the way that even their ancestors had cared for it, as opposed to just this strictly, you know, stripping, discarding, stripping, discarding process that we see across the entire United States, or really most of the world. So, anyways, um, you just got me thinking kind of in my heart space about that. Um, yeah. Hmm. Savannah, you're I, I, uh, I also want to acknowledge that you did not owe me an interview you did not need to do this you know you did not need to teach me about how to you know honor some of these really important practices and traditions um, and yet you did you were very generous with your time today and I uh, I, I have a, a lot of like love building up in my heart like I, there's a real genuine affection that I have and, and you kind of being patient with my questions and really kind of flowing with me here. So thank you so much for, for your time today.
0: Thank you, Nathan. I mean, for the depth and for the sincere, the sincere um, connection and the need for being in this conversation, like it definitely felt like, even though I shit on church earlier, it definitely felt like church to me. Like it felt like kneeling at our humanity together
1: the church of the goddess <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> so thank you for kneeling at my humanity with me and allowing me to kneel at your humanity with you i i'm, I'm deeply appreciative this this was mutually mutually serving um and i hope that our ancestors are happy that we've convened
1: today. yeah yeah well i have a a client who might be giving birth up in michigan maybe i'll i'll just pop a squat on your lawn for a few days and we can have coffee and tea and (laughs) all those things
0: (laughs) yes please thank
1: you so much my very very much my pleasure savannah we're going to do a part two because i want to go a little bit deeper on a couple of these topics we didn't really even get into the reproductive justice piece you know because you you were in the business of birth control uh, featured in the film Uh, ricky lake and abby epstein good friends of mine and yours as well Um, we're going to link that in the uh in the show notes because it does give a little bit of the the history this is a a sneak peek for part two into the reproductive justice um, movement in the United States um, and and the role of Planned Parenthood. And there's some eugenicists that were, you know, happily trodden along in that that whole program. Um, I think it's a really important piece of our history. And I think that if we're going to even get to the healing and the dignity and whatnot, we have to be able to look at that really kind of twisted part of our history in order to try to maybe in the future make amends. So we'll explore all of that next time um how can people find you in the meantime yeah.
0: please find me on instagram it's at savannah i'm sure my name will be spelled in the podcast at sanctuary medicine as well on instagram please follow black women's blueprints work at www.restoreny.org and you can reach me directly at savannah
1: Savon, if there's any ever anything I can do to help support your missions, your initiatives, please, you know who to you know who to call. You got my cell phone, okay?
0: Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, everybody. For uh, tuning in, you can find Savannah Brown at Savannah S E V O N N A on Instagram. Restore Forward is her um, community. You can find that at Restore Forward on uh, Instagram. All of the other links and websites and references from the show will be included in both the show notes at belovedholistics.com/podcast as well as in the podcast description on this platform and every platform where you can find podcasts. Um, Thank you to our sponsors. They make this possible. Support the sponsors so that they know you're listening, so that we can keep the lights on here. BirthFit, Organifi, Bioptimizers, Immune Intelli, HTC, and WeNatal, all incredible companies that really, really deserve your dollars. That's how we vote. We vote with our dollars. So go and support those brands. Let them know you're listening. Um, Try it out. Let me know how things go. You know, if one of these brands is not working for you then maybe we need to find a replacement but I doubt that because I've vetted these companies I know the owners they are all good people they're all doing great work and they all have best intentions in mind but they can always use feedback so let me know um, if you liked anything in this episode, if something touched you, share it with your friends, leave a five-star review. It matters more than, you know, it really does. So thank you for supporting us. If you want to find me, Nathan Riley, OBGYN, the holistic OBGYN, I'm at Nathan Riley, OBGYN on Instagram and all the socials as well as, um, at belovedholistics.com. That's where you can find me for private consultation. My practice is bustling right now. So it may not be that I can see you immediately, but if you do have an urgent concern, I never turn anybody down. So, um, so find me there. Guys, we'll see you next time with a biologic dentist, Lydia Ryman. Um, she is going to drop a whole bunch of amazing, amazing insights on how you can better care for your mouth, your gums. The, 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 the health of your oral cavity, let's just say, is going to reflect the health of your entire body. So how, how you care for your teeth is how you care for the world, yourself, your baby, your partner, everything. So we'll see you next week here on the Holistic Individualian Podcast with Dr. Lydia. Take care, everybody. I love you both. I love you all. <laughs>